more and more I find that, um, and maybe you find this too, I find that um, my, my, uh, my close friends seem to be shrinking. Um, I, I seem to have fewer and fewer people uh, with whom I'm really regularly just sharing my life. You know, really getting down and, and, and saying the real stuff of what's going on. But what's crazy is, is at the same time, I go to a lot of dinners, and I meet a lot of people. I have all kinds of friends. I find that uh, we, we do stuff. I mean, we're so busy. It's the craziest thing. I, I can't um, remember a time in my life when I've been busier doing more stuff. I go to this, I go to that, I hang out with him and her and them and their kids, um, and what's crazy is, 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 is even as that increases, and that increases in my life, more and more, I feel like we're having this awesome time. We share a few jokes. We even have a few connections, you know, across the table. And then that's it. And the night's over. And then I leave. And I don't see him again for a couple months. It's weird, too, because I look back, and there was a time in my life, I remember it so well, a time in my life when um, I, I just felt so deeply embedded in community. Uh, if, if, I, if I look back on my life, it, it really, to me, I associate school and community, which, of course, you know, as a bona fide geek, as a nerd, of course, I would find school to be the place. But I do. I look back. I look back and I think about what it was like to be with a group of friends, you know, in college, in, in grad school, even in high school, um, what it was like to, to just spend so much time with that group of people and be so deeply connected. People that I knew at every time, at every moment, they knew everything was going on in my life. And they cared about me. They knew enough to ask questions. They knew enough to pray. They knew enough to hold me accountable. And in those times in my life, I didn't actually have that many friends. (laughs) But I know I had a community. Today, um, we're talking about committing to community in Acts 18. Uh, if, if, you're, if, you, if this is any, in any way relates to you, if you can sort of feel me on this, uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. In, in, uh, in 2001, um, this Harvard sociologist, Robert Putnam, he, he wrote a book called Bowling Alone. It's, just, it's a classic in sociology, um, especially in, in, in American sociology. And what's cool about this text is, is he looks at American society uh, starting in like 1950, and he traces the most random thing. He traces the membership in bowling leagues, right? Bowling teams, okay? And he watches, he watches as in 1950, you know, so many people, like you know, half the country is in a bowling league. Uh, and, and it's not bowling leagues, it's other things. We'll talk about that in a second. But but he, he, he traces it, and, and by the time uh, you get to, to 2001, when he writes the book, it's like, it's like bowling leagues are dead. Nobody does it anymore. And yet, the crazy thing is, the amount of bowling has remained the same. Right? So, so people were in bowling leagues, and they were bowling, bowling, bowling. Now, now, nothing. Nobody bowls in leagues anymore, but they still bowl. What happens? And then he traces this, 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 uh, this crazy statistic to other things. Things like the Rotary Club, Kiwanis, or however you say that. All the different civic, um, uh, what is it? Kiwanis? I guess I should have looked that up on Google and done the pronounced thing. Whatever. 
Boy Scouts, all these different things. In 1950, were the bedrock of American culture and society, right? And then 2001, they're basically empty. You know, the Elks Lodge, no one's there anymore. And yet, he finds that when he, he asks people, well, do you see a lot of people? Everyone says, yeah, same amount of seeing people. No leagues, no clubs, no community. There's a cool statistic. 1985, 10% of Americans, one out of 10 people when they were asked, said they, quote, had no one to talk to about important matters. And then 15% of Americans had one person. That's 25%. That's a quarter of the country in 1985. By 2004, 25% had nobody to talk to. 20% had just one. 45% of Americans in 2004 had one or nobody to talk to about the things that mattered in their lives. Good news, though. Good news because in 2004, Mark Zuckerberg saved us by introducing the Facebook. Yeah. In 2004, Mark Zuckerberg, he, he surveyed American culture and said, I will protect you. And he got us all connected. Man, I, didn't, I haven't checked because I haven't logged into Facebook in like six months. I, I, I go on once a year to uh, thank everyone for wishing me a happy birthday. And then I found out it's not even real. They get like a text from Mark Zuckerberg that says, press one to wish Tom a happy birthday. And they just press one. I mean, thanks guys. Uh, I, I, so I, uh, I, I haven't checked in a long time, but I think the last time I checked, I had something like four or 500 friends on Facebook. Wow, I'm so popular. I had no idea. Um, what, another cool um, fact. So apparently 90% of Americans have regular access to the internet and social media. Um, and 71% of those Americans regularly interact with social media. Regularly. I don't even count in the 71% because I only go on once a year. 71% of Americans regularly inter- uh, interact with social media of the 90% who have internet access. That is a staggering number of people. Staggering. And so clearly, everybody feels a community now. Marx saved us. We have everything we need, right? The Atlantic, May 2012. We have never been more detached from one another or lonelier. In a world consumed by ever more novel modes of socializing, we have less and less actual society. Read, community. We live in an accelerating contradiction. The more connected we become, the lonelier we are. Think about this. Think about um, the things that we do to connect besides social media. It's it's integrated into social media now. I mean, uh, I know that the kids these days, they have hookup apps, apps. They literally have apps that they swipe to find the next person to have some kind of sexual encounter with because they are desperate to be connected to people. Parties and, 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 and good things, play dates, double dates, clubs, hangouts, Sunday school, church events. People are going out of their way over and over and over. What? To get deep with people because they're desperate, because they're lonely. In the United States today, it's on your note sheets, we have more connections than ever and less community. 
There's a difference between connection and community, and you know this, you intuit this. If you have that golden age in your mind like I do, back uh, you know, in college and, and then in grad school, early on in, in Aaron and I's marriage, I just felt like we were just inundated with people we did life with, people we shared with. The words are things like confidant, a bond. That's community. Connections are the people who like your latest uh, Facebook picture. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not knocking that. But I'm saying that it's pointing to something. It's pointing to something deeper that that we've lost. The Atlantic ends their article with this. What Facebook has revealed about human nature, and this is not a minor revelation, is that connection is not the same thing as a bond. Connection is not the same thing as a bond. And that instant and total connection is not salvation. It's not a ticket to a happier, better world, a more liberated version of humanity. Thanks for telling us that, Facebook. I want to suggest to you that Facebook didn't reveal anything about human nature. That fact about human nature has been deeply embedded in the scriptures. The problem is that we as a society have failed to learn and understand them. The Bible taught this a long time ago. If only we had the eyes to see. Acts 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Paul, the apostle, is going on a missionary journey. He's going to go to Corinth, um, a a city in the Greco-Roman Empire, and he's going to try and tell the gospel, preach the gospel, primarily to Jews, but also to non-Jews. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Emperor Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And Paul came to them. So because Paul found out they had the same trade, he stayed with them. He lived with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So such a fascinating text. So there, did you know, did you hear all the, all the interesting things that, that Luke tells us about Aquila and Priscilla? Aquila is born in Pontus. Then at some point, he moves to Rome, which is a, very far away. And then he's in Rome, and he's Jewish, and because Jews are a persecuted minority in the Greco-Roman Empire, he's subject to a pogrom. And Emperor Claudius kicks all the Jews out of the city. He's displaced, him and his wife. We, we know uh, approximately when this happened, 49 to 52 AD, we're not exactly sure, but right in that, that, that zone, we have some, some uh, work from uh, Suetonius, a Roman uh, historian, and a few others who mention this expulsion. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, in our current political climate, we talk about you know, expulsion of, of, of minorities. Um, it, it's so weird that, that they're, they're pushed out, they're pushed out, they're constantly on the move. These people have no home. They're homeless. And in case you were wondering if that was okay, it's not because they're tent makers, which is a fancy word for cobbler. These people were the ones who fixed your shoes, your sandals in this case. They were very low on the social status network. They didn't have a lot of social media friends. So here they are, pushed back to Corinth because they have no place to go, because they're not wanted, because the Roman Empire says they're no good and not worthwhile. And they're trying to make their way in a new place. And so they get to the, the first place they know. Probably they, they enter into the Jewish community there. They go to the other minorities that they know. And somehow through this network, Paul hears about them. And then he creates a connection. 
It's the same thing that you and I do when we're sitting down at, 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 the, at the dinner table and I'm talking, you know, we're trying to f- sniff each other out, figure out what do we have in common, what do we have in common. And I'm like, oh, I went to the same college as Steph Curry, MVP. You like the Warriors? I love the Warriors. Basketball's awesome. Suddenly connection, right? We have something to talk about, something in common. The, the, these two people who are far out here suddenly have something together and they're looking at the world together for the first time. Paul walks in and says... You have some very nice sandals. Who, who did those for you? And Aquila's laughing. I did it myself. And Priscilla's like, uh, honey, okay, she did it. I watched, you know, whatever, however it works in their marriage. Uh, and a connection is born, right? And so then what does Paul do? He does what we do. He says, gosh, guys, that was a really great evening. See you later. Um, I'll, uh, you know, hopefully we'll do this again sometime, which is what we in our culture say when we're saying, this will probably never happen again. If it does, you know, one, six months from now, here in South Orange County, it's like, oh yeah, man, we'll, we'll hang out next week. Yep, nope, not a chance. That's not, that's not what happens. What does he say? He stayed with them. It's funny, if you look at the, at the book, at Luke Acts, right, Luke Acts, um, Luke almost always, when, when there's an instance of hospitality, he highlights it. He's like, and then this person opened his home to Jesus, or opened his home to Paul, or invited Peter to dinner. Or, there's always a mention of anything hospitable. Not in this text. In fact, it looks like Paul's like, let's have dinner. He came to them. Did you hear that? He came to them. And then not only does he come to them, he finds out they have a connection. He stays with them. He lives with them and works. Another interesting thing, Luke acts, Luke, whenever he's talking about someone who's Jewish, who believes in or follows Jesus, he always tells us. He always say, this person, in fact, we're going to hear at the very end of this message. He'll he'll say, this person, you know, so-and-so, was a Jew, but followed the Lord, or was a member of the way, or something like that. Gives us a little hint that this person is a Christian. Did you hear any of that with Aquila and Priscilla? And he found a certain Jew named Aquila. That's it. Born in Pontus, kicked out of Rome. He's just another guy. He and Paul don't share faith. Aquila and Priscilla aren't Christians. And yet they have a connection. And because they have that connection, Paul pursues them. And he kicks in the door. And then he lives with them. And he stays with them. And, and, and so they're, they're doing life with him. They're fixing shoes and making tents, working with leather. And, and, and as that's happening, they see him week in, week out, going to synagogue. And what? Persuading both Jews and Greeks. Paul's on a mission. You know, he fixes your shoes to pay the bills. But that's not what he's really about. What he's really about is people. He's really about the gospel. He's really about seeing souls saved and lives changed. And, and Aquila and Priscilla hear this all the time. They can't avoid it because Paul lives with them. They can't get away from the guy. And then something marvelous happens. With commitment, God turns our connections into community. Commitment. With commitment, God turns connections into community. First, they just had a connection. Oh, you're a cobbler? I'm a cobbler. Nice shoes. And then something marvelous takes place. Suddenly, the commitment turns into something more. 
uh, Aquila and Priscilla drop out of Acts 18 for a second. They, they, they kind of drop out of the narrative, and we hear a few other things that, um, that, that Paul does. But then in verse 18, listen to this. So Paul still remained a good while in Corinth. And then he took lead, leave of the brethren, the brothers and sisters of the church, and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila went with him. Aquila and Priscilla went with him. Something happens in the time that they were together. This commitment that Paul makes to live with them and be with them and do life with them, this, this time that they spend, over time, something changes in their relationship. It's not just Paul kicking in the door. It's not just Paul saying, hey, man, love the warriors. It's something deeper than that. It's something so powerful that this couple, this homeless couple, say, you're leaving? You're going to go take this message somewhere else? Bring us along. Somewhere along the way, in the midst of this time and commitment, they've become Christians. They've started to follow the way. And not only that, there's a burning desire in their hearts to share the good news. There's a burning desire in their hearts to serve the God who has saved them. And they want to do it with this, this guy, Paul. He's the one who showed them the way, and they love him deeply. Because his commitment, through his commitment, God has turned the connection into community. I've been prepping you. Subtly, but I've been prepping you. We're going to have an altar call today. I know it's a little scary. Um, it's not going to be a traditional alt- altar call, I promise you. It's going to be a little less intimidating. But this altar call is not going to be about the kind of altar call that you're used to, or if you're aware of altar calls, what you think they might be. This is not a, a time where you're going to come forward and confess Jesus for the first time. Instead, instead, this is a time when you have an opportunity to buy in and say, yeah, I believe. Commitment is what God uses to turn regular connections into community. And so I'd like to introduce to you small groups at Coast Bible Church in the fall of 2016. This is what you can do to be like Paul, to kick in the door and to live with people. This is what you can do to create the community that we need. We're going to have small groups. I, I don't know what you think about a small group. I don't know if you've heard of small groups, what you think they are. But, but here's, you know, here, here's what we're going to do. Um, in, in, our, in our small groups, we're going to have four basic types. Four basic types of small groups. Uh, being, caring, learning, doing. A being group is when you just need to connect with people. You need to connect with them and, and, and get to know them and to learn about their lives. We're going to have some groups for that. But there's other types of groups that, that we don't have a ton of, but we're going to expand over time. Uh, and that's a caring group. It's a group where if you're in crisis, if you're in a place in your life where something's not right and you need help, then start a small group about it. Invite people into your life to share this with you, to take this burden and, and give it up to God, integrate your spirituality with it, and do it together. We're going to have learning groups. This is what we're, we're best at at Coast. We're a church of, of scholars and, and nerds. Um, not, okay. All right, I'm a nerd. You, you all are very cool. Um, but you also know a lot, and you like learning. Um, so this is something that we, we can do together. If you want to uh, get deep, deep into, um, in, into a, 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 a book of scripture, or a, even a, a, a devotional or some theology, that's great. You want to learn a, a useful skill? We can do that. We can do it together. That's great. Learning is awesome. And, and you'll see uh, when we introduce the groups, there's a plenty of, of learning groups. The last group is doing. You might even think serving. 
It's a group that, that it's built around making a difference because you've been called by God to do something. I don't want you to limit what these groups can be like. We, we've got, you know, we're going to introduce six today uh, that you can participate in. But in the future, dream. Follow your dream and your imagination. What is it that's deep in your heart that you really, really want to integrate with other people and your spirituality? We're going to make that happen. You come talk to me. We'll make it happen. Uh, I've had people suggest uh, video game groups. Um, I mean, what do I say about nerds? Uh, uh, Exercise. Uh, That's fine. Um, I've heard um, some of the other weird ones. It doesn't matter. uh, 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 Cooking? Baking? Yep. If you want to do that, it's great. That's fine. Think about it. Think about what, uh, what you... And really, what we're talking about is we're talking about aligning God's call on your life and your passion and, and, and bringing that into your spiritual life and your community. I mean, how weird is it that we have this, all this stuff we do? You know, Tom goes surfing with Dave Eichner, right? And, and we hang out and we surf, and yet we don't make that a part of our spirituality. How ridiculous is that? How weird is that? And why aren't we sharing that with other people in this church who like to get in the water? So we're asking you to align these groups with passion and calling. The, the groups that we're introducing uh, this, this quarter are groups based on people in this church who have a burden for something. They care about something. For Aaron and I, it's finances because we're awful at handling money. I mean, <laughs> so our group's going to be empty because I know that all of you all are, are very, very responsible. But, <laughs> but if there's one of you, maybe two, who sometimes, you know, your heart quakes a little bit when you look at your checking account, you're like, what? And you're a little bit concerned that, you know, you're, you're, you're not being holy uh, with the way that you're using your money. Come join us. We're going to learn together. We're going to figure this out, and we're going to hold each other accountable. And in the in process of doing that, as we live this life together, I guarantee you, we're going to get a little more connected. And, and maybe, maybe God will use this to create a community out of us. But that's something that's on our hearts right now. Here's the thing, though. Aaron and I are not going to be worried about finances forever because after this group, we'll never have to worry about it ever again and it'll be, it'll be super fun times with our, with our money. Uh, and, and so here's the thing. We're only asking for a 10-week commitment. 10 weeks. That's it. Um, I, I get it. Life's busy. Apparently, Alice is going to start soccer at 8 a.m. is her first game on September something Saturday and so I don't get to sleep in that day. I'm really upset about it. I understand that you live busy lives. I get it. And I understand also that you're like, uh, I, don't, this is, I don't feel like getting married again. I've gotten married once. I don't want to get married into this group and never be able to, you know, I, no thanks. I get that. I get, that's okay. It's okay. We're not asking for forever. We're asking for 10 weeks. Just give 10 weeks. I guarantee you, if you meet with the same people for 10 weeks and, and you spend time together and you, and you go after this common interest together and, and you do it um, in the name of the Lord Jesus and you pray together and you ask about your lives together, I guarantee you, you are going to, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, become close to them. It's going to be small. Four to twelve. Four to twelve people. Um, studies show that uh, if you get much bigger than that, then people start to recede into the back. You know, you can wallflower it. We don't want wallflowers. Be in a place where you can open up. Be in a place where, where people can, can see you and recognize you and hear you. Be in a place where, even if it's uncomfortable, you get drawn out a little bit. So when that happens, God's going to create community. I believe that. 
If you look on the back of your handouts, um, I, I've listed out all of the, the, the different um, groups. We've we got six groups uh, this quarter. Um, we're going to start up again in, in, in winter of 2017, so if, if, if none of these are, are your particular cup of tea, uh, that's okay. Or in the case of Pat and Bonnie's coffee, um, that's all right. That's okay. Um, think about it. Think about what's on your heart. Think about uh, what you would want to be and what you would want to do and what you would want to think through. And, and come talk to me. And even if, even if none of these are your cup of tea, maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's worth it to take a step of faith. Maybe if you're looking at your life and you're like, man, I got a whole lot of connections and not a lot of community. Maybe it's worth just signing up for one. Go be crafty with Jen. Have dinner with, with Dan and Lloyd and Monica and Kristen. You know, men, learn how to lead with Lou and Dave. And, you know, if you, and if you have a, a sweet tooth for Diet Coke and cake, then, then hang out, and we all do, then hang out with, with, with Marilyn and Debbie. There's something there for you. Take a shot. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? It's a good question. I want to draw your attention back to to Acts 18. This is the end of the chapter, and, 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 and we're going to hear what happened to Aquila and Priscilla. Verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they... they, they you know, pulled up their anchors with, with Paul. They left Corinth. They landed in Ephesus. And we've been in the book of Ephesians. Um, this is actually taking place at the beginning of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. So this is several years before he writes the book that we're studying and we're going to get back to after, this, um, after the, the, the small group series. Um, so they, they, they end up in Ephesus. And this man, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So this Apollos in Ephesus, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And Aquila and Priscilla, who were there, they heard this. And they pulled him aside, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when Apollos desired to cross to Achaia, the brothers and sisters, the brethren, they wrote, exhorting the disciples there to receive him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace, for he vigorously reviewed the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Paul's not there. Paul's taken off. He gets to, to Ephesus. He hangs out for a while. He spends some time there, and he leaves. And this time, Aquila and Priscilla, they stay. They've been with him. They've been in community. They've learned from him. They've shared their lives together, and they stay. And then another guy, Apollos, uh, comes up. And did you notice? He's, he's, a, he's not, noted as, as a Jew, but instructed in the way of the Lord. Right? He's, been, he's been introduced to Jesus, so Paul, or Luke points that out. So they, they, they see him, and he's awesome. He's incredible. He's the kind of guy who actually gets paid to get up in front of people and talk to them. Yeah. He's what, in the ancient world, they called an itinerant philosopher. This guy would go around, and he would, he would you know, suck with kings, and he'd be treated well. He, would be, he was at the top of the... The socialist, he was the guy with, you know, the, the advanced degree. And he was the guy who knew all the answers. And he was the guy who was compelling and engaging. And he was the guy that everybody listened to. He didn't have to work with his hands. He wasn't blue collar. He was white collar. He was the top of the heap. 
Apollos walks in and all the people flock to hear him. Flock to hear his incredible teaching, his incredible speaking, his gifts, his charism. People are blown away by Apollos. And here are these two cobblers. And after they hear him speak, they're like, really? Love what you're doing and, and there's a great future for you, man. But we've got something you don't. We're grounded. We have the truth. We've been instructed. We know what's happening. We know the truth about Jesus. We know the baptism of, uh, uh, in, in the name of the, the, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And we know about the baptism of the Spirit that happens. We know about all that stuff. And you don't. These people are bold. They're deep. They're grounded in their faith. They're mature. They're able to go out and do the things that we all honestly wish we could do. Because they're not afraid Because God created community. Because Paul was committed to them. And in that commitment, God turned a simple connection into something that develops, and this is the last thing on your note sheets, mature disciples. God uses community to bring people to Christ and make them mature disciples. Imagine what it would be like if you had that kind of confidence, that kind of security. Have you noticed when you first walk into a classroom and you're sitting there, you know, and the teacher asks a question, right? The teacher's like, in 1776, the Americans did what? And everyone's like, anybody but me. And even if you know the answer, you don't want to speak out because you're afraid. You're nervous. And it's only after the class has been with, together for a long time and the people know each other and you've been learning together and you've been thinking together and you've been answering questions together and you've joked and you've laughed and you've spent time together and then the teacher says, what happened in 1776? And some guy in the back's like, yeah, 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 American Revolution. Come on, it's easy, teach. Get out of here. What are you, Bueller, Bueller? No, it's easy stuff, right? What's happened? What's changed? People know each other. They have community. They become grounded. And as a result, they ha- they're fearless. They-, they feel comfortable. They're able to get up to Apollos with his advanced degrees and his amazing... And be like, no, that's not the way. We know the way. Because they have been changed by what God has done in their lives. Imagine what this church, imagine what the church of Jesus Christ would be like if our people were that bold, were that encouraged, were that confident, that grounded, that secured in the truth and in the knowledge that they're loved. So some of you are buying in. You're like, yes, I'm going to go sign up. We're going to literally have sign-ups. So there's going to be tables in the back. Uh, our small group leaders, at least one, is going to be manning those tables with sign-up sheets. And some of you are like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I buy in. I'm going to do it. Ten weeks. That's it. Some of you aren't. You're like, oh. Maybe you're a little worried that commitment uh, might cost you a little bit of your freedom. Maybe you're like, ah, community, come on. I tried that. It's okay. Uh, but I got a great thing going. That's okay. Next week we're going to talk a few, about, a few things about, um, you know, does community really curtail freedom or does it actually create it? You know? Um, we'll talk about that. You don't have to sign up today. But, it, but if you're ready, if you're ready, you're going to have a chance in just a few minutes. Brothers and sisters, it is time that we as a community as people who say that we're a family, 
Double down and get involved with each other. Make commitments to each other. Be called to fulfill those commitments to each other. I believe, I believe that if we do, then this pandemic, this disease that has seized our culture, where we have more and more and more connections and no confidants, no people that we're truly close to, no bonds, we'll be able to do away with that because I believe that God's Holy Spirit will not return void on this commitment. Let's pray. Father, I pray that um, you will stir up your spirit in this place. Give us the boldness and the fearlessness to commit to each other, to get involved, to say that, that, that getting to know each other and, and reorganizing our schedules and all of that, it matters. It's worth it. To say no to a culture that connects and connects and connects and leaves utterly alone. And say yes to your kingdom. To say yes to your church. To say yes to your spirit. Yes to the body, the family that you create through the blood of your son. God, give us courage to step out in faith and show us what you can do when you take our commitment and turn our connections into community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.